Words hold immense power. Those who wield them with grace and precision are able to persuade others, diffuse conflict, make a lasting impression, and unlock life-changing opportunities. But how do you move from being an average conversationalist to an eloquent force to be reckoned with? Well, why not take some lessons from the most skilled communicators in history? Come along as we study those who have a way with words, from poets and public speakers to authors and philosophers. It's time to level up your communication skills. Welcome to A Better Way to Say. Hello, hello, my conversation companions. I am so glad you're here because today you're getting the tools you need to become a magnetic storyteller. You might not think of yourself as a storyteller, but you are one. You're actually telling stories all the time. Recapping a recent trip to a friend, introducing yourself to a new person, pitching a project at work. But some individuals are stunningly good storytellers. Become one of them Hone your ability to tell stories, and you can form bonds with people instantly. That's why, in this episode, I'm bringing you four principles to level up your storytelling abilities. I'll cover what makes a great story, how to unearth good stories when you feel like you don't have one to tell, and some common storytelling mistakes you should avoid at all costs. And don't you worry, we're not embarking on this storytelling journey alone. We are turning to one of history's greatest storytellers to learn how to level up our own abilities. Because the truth is, being able to tell a good story can change your life. So settle in for today's lesson and be sure to practice these the next time you're telling a story. All right, let's meet our wordsmith whose stories have stood the test of time, Charles Dickens. Born in England in 1812, Charles John Huffam Dickens would come to be known as the greatest author of the Victorian era. His stories ranged from short comedic tales like the Pickwick Papers to long and complex ones like Great Expectations. If you've read Dickens, you know his storytelling skills were nothing short of incredible. What makes this even more impressive though is that he had no formal training. Get this, when he was just 12, his father was put in debtor's prison and Charles was sent to work in a factory. He later did return to school, but at the age of 15, left again due to family problems. So his education was largely self-taught. Despite his sorry schooling, Dickens wrote multiple novels that are considered classics to this day, which is pretty mind-boggling. I mean, imagine not even graduating high school and then producing works of art that people in your day clamored for and that modern people still read 200 years later. Wow. And that's what a good story does. It speaks to a universal truth, providing a lesson or value that resonates with others. That's why Dickens is the perfect person to learn from on our quest to tell stories that others find meaningful. If you're ready to tell better stories, let's hop in to lesson one. Lesson one, know your story's purpose. Let's begin at the beginning. Before you set out to tell a story, ask yourself why you're sharing it. Do you want to help the other person see your point of view? Is it meant to lighten the mood with a laugh? Are you hoping to form a bond? Knowing your why helps you determine what to highlight within a story. Dickens, for example, wrote many of his stories to inspire social reform. When he was a young boy, Dickens' father, as I mentioned, was sent to debtor's prison. 
And because of this, Dickens suffered a sharp change in fortune from middle class to poverty. So he experienced child labor firsthand, making him attuned to the plight of the poor. So as a man, he wrote specifically about the mistreatment of poor children in Victorian England. In Oliver Twist, Dickens tells the story of the fictional orphan Oliver in order to draw attention to the very real problem of poverty and danger faced by children in that era. Dickens planned out all his stories and knew his why as he wrote. Here's how you can apply this lesson when storytelling. When you set out to tell a story, ask yourself why you're sharing the information that you are. For example, when I gave a toast at my sister's wedding, I wanted to start out by showcasing how sweet and caring she is. So I told a story about how when we were young and I was sick, she knelt down by my little bouncy chair and said a prayer for me and kissed me. I explained how there is a photo in our family photo album depicting this with her wild curls leaning over my pudgy baby frame. And then I connected it to the present, talking about how she cares for the sick as a nurse today. So I use that story to serve the purpose of explaining and depicting how she's a sweet, caring person. Don't worry, I also mentioned my new brother-in-law in in the toast. He's great. He's just not part of our example for the moment. (laughs) Okay, so what if you're not campaigning on behalf of Victorian orphans or delivering a toast that leaves not a dry eye in the house? Well, this lesson still applies because you interact with other people every day and can inspire, persuade, and connect with them using, you guessed it, a good old story or a new one. In his book, The Storytelling Animal, How Stories Make Us Human, Jonathan Gottschall writes, quote, we are as a species addicted to story. Even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up at night telling itself stories. If it's true that we are addicted to stories, then being a skilled storyteller is a superpower and it's one that you can possess. So that's lesson one, start with knowing your story's point. Before I hop into lesson two, just a quick side note, what if it's difficult to think of what your story's purpose is? No worries, reframe the question. So instead of thinking, what is my story's point? What is my story's purpose? Think, what do I want to achieve in this interaction? We all enter into social situations and spaces with a goal, at least you should, so that you're not floating around aimlessly. So set your goal and then use your story to support that. Once you know your why, you're ready for lesson two. Okay, there's one thing all good storytellers know how to do. If you can master this one thing, people will hang on your every word. What is it? to pique your listeners' curiosity. Start with a hook to draw them in, then drop bits and pieces of interesting information, hinting that the best is yet to come. The point in this lesson is to pull someone deeper and deeper in so they become wrapped up in the outcome. They just have to know how the story ends. So don't give it all away at the start. Use twists and turns to keep your stories interesting. Dickens' novels were serialized, leaving people speculating as to what came next. Each installment left people eager for the following one. There was no keep watching on Netflix button, so in the Victorian era, this was 
top tier entertainment. Okay, guys. Now, what are some methods? Well, misdirection, plot twists, purposefully withholding information. Dickens used these to keep his readers hooked. And we can apply these tactics in our own conversations. Here's how. Let's take this in three parts. First, tell a story that has some core point. What makes this story worth sharing? Identify the core point of your story. Once you know this, you'll know what to drop hints about along the way. Second, compose a story in a way that keeps some vital details hidden. When you're telling a story, you know how it ends and how everything was resolved, but your listener does not. Here's a quick way to ruin a story. Say the core point at the start. This now lets your listener know how it ends and they can tune out. So don't get ahead of yourself. Keep some things hidden. Third, like good old Dickens, use some foreshadowing. In other words, hint at what's to come to keep people engaged. The word choices you use and your emphasis on certain words can act as little signals to build up to the grand reveal. All right, time for an example. A friend of mine once started a story with, let me tell you about the campaign I worked on that changed my life. That was a good hook. Then throughout the story, he dropped little hints about the politician, like where he grew up. I think he mentioned the town where he launched his election bid. Details that gave me a, a piece here and there, but not the whole thing. He also used misdirection, telling me that the first campaign was a disaster, which made me think that the candidate was kind of a dud. And then at the end of the story, he revealed the triumph of the politician and how he won the presidency. So he waited till the very end to name the politician and explain that he ended up becoming president. So this structure kept me looped in rather than if he had just started with, oh, I once worked for someone who went on to become president. So whatever your big moment is, keep it under wraps. Until the right moment, that is. All right, stirring up curiosity is very effective when telling stories, but there are more ways to have listeners in a trance. So here's lesson number three. Use descriptive language to bring your story to life. When you tell a story, think of yourself as the author because, well, you are. You are the author. You decide how to frame the story, the mood you want to create, and the feelings you want to evoke. And one powerful tool that helps you achieve this is your word choice. Charles Dickens excelled in painting a captivating picture for his readers. He described characters in a way that is so memorable, you get an instant picture of them in your mind. Here is a description that he wrote in A Christmas Carol for Scrooge. Quote, a squeezing wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster, end quote. Using descriptive words to highlight the personality traits or physical attributes of people in our stories helps to add dimension. So we can do this as we speak. For instance, if you're telling a story that involves how your impressively athletic friend saved a little kid from drowning, then tying in descriptions of her would make it memorable. 
So you could say she runs over to the edge and I see her rock solid calves leap into the water as she jumps in and swims out to save the kid. You get the point, just adding more description to make it vivid. Diggins also did this with landscapes, making you feel like you're immersed in them. Let me grab another passage. This one is from Bleak House, and it's a treasure trove of vivid language that paints a setting that will stick in your mind. Quote, implacable November weather, as much mud in the streets as if the waters had but newly retired from the face of the earth, and it would not be wonderful to meet a megalosaurus 40 feet long or so, waddling like an elephantine lizard upon Holborn Hill, end quote. Now, Dickens used fog and gloom in Bleak House to mirror how unclear matters are and signal the state of confusion his characters are in, so it really sets the tone for the reader. And we can take this written lesson and use it in our spoken storytelling. Here's how. Use your words as a tool to create a desired mood. This requires you to think about what you want to convey to the person you're speaking with. It ties back into point one, knowing your story's purpose, but we're going a level deeper now and thinking about how we want to make the other person feel. So say you're telling a story about how you ran a marathon. You might use words like grueling and intense and then build up a picture of the mental and physical struggle you faced when you were running. So what doubts plagued you or the burning sensation that you felt in your legs as you continued up the hill and even the elation you felt as you saw the finish line in the distance. This is a non-runner's take on how someone might describe running. So maybe the details in my example are off. I'm not running 26 miles as part of my podcast research, okay? But the point here is to make someone feel immersed in your story simply with powerful words. In some stories, the setting is an integral part. For instance, my sister was telling me how she met a fun group of people while on a boat excursion in Hawaii. So she weaved in notes about the boat and its layout to help me picture it and bring the story to life. But in other stories, the attributes of the people and the actions they take will be the focus. So in that case, your description should focus on them. All the lessons up to this point have been part of an effort to help you tell sticky stories. Sticky stories, if you haven't heard the term, are those that engage your listener and remain in their mind. So it's a story that's both interesting and memorable. While each of these lessons is important, lesson four is an especially vital element for telling sticky stories. So lesson four is appeal to emotions. Going back to that quote about how we are addicted to stories, I was thinking, why is that? What makes stories so compelling? People will, you know, sit for hours in movies or get so lost in books and their whole industries built around these stories like J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter or the Marvel Universe or just so many stories that really grip us. And I think one reason is that stories, good stories, speak to universal emotions and struggles. So keep this in mind next time you are telling a story. When you share a meaningful story, you are not only talking about yourself. 
you're talking about what it is to be human. The adventure you went on intrigues someone because they too want to feel freedom and exhilaration. Or the trial you went through resonates with someone because they understand what it's like to be swept up in uncertainty and fear. It's these emotional connections that make our stories more powerful and persuasive. In fact, Aristotle identified pathos, which is the appeal to emotion, as one of the three pathways to persuading others. So understanding how to elicit emotions when storytelling is a very valuable skill. Dickens did this in his writing. In Great Expectations, for example, he addresses the struggles of growing up and how upbringing affects self-perceptions as we grow older. And yes, we could read a published and peer-reviewed journal telling us about this phenomena in detail, but we're not going to. It lacks the emotional power that Dickens creates through Pip, his protagonist. So that emotional appeal is crucial. Let's get into some applications of how you can appeal to emotions in your own stories. So number one is to share personal stories. This is a great way to connect with others and appeal to specific emotions because when you share something that you've gone through, whether it's a triumph or a trial or a mix of both, a lot of stories are a mix of both, you'll end up discussing the accompanying emotions. And great storytellers can fine-tune this and have a whole group of people laughing or crying or getting up in arms alongside of them. But sharing personal stories is really helpful for this. Number two is to make it about the other person. So if your story is a little too focused on yourself and the particulars about your life, it can lose its draw and its magnetism. In this case, alternate between yourself and the other person to make it connect with them. For example, say you're telling a story about how you met one of your favorite celebrities, but the person you're speaking with doesn't know who they are. So while telling the story, you could stop and ask the other person, do you have someone you would love to meet? Someone you would just freak out if you saw on the street and let them tell you this person. And then you can tell them to imagine meeting this person. And that's how they can relate to the feeling that you're explaining in the story. So basically you want to get them to connect with the story in the same way that you did or an echo of the emotions that you felt so that you're appealing to their emotions, not just solely talking about your own. And then number three is to be vulnerable. Don't shy away from emotions and even discomfort because being vulnerable can help to form more connections. And this applies to positive and negative emotions. So maybe you're thrilled about a recent occurrence. Don't feel the need to tamper it down and act like it's no big deal. Instead, let your emotion be contagious as you describe what happened. So I think we often have this feeling that we need to just kind of pull back or we're too much, but this can actually be really endearing when you let your emotions pour forth and you're vulnerable about, I'm so happy this happened, or I went through this challenge and I want to share it with you. So maybe something painful occurred and you've worked through it. You can share this challenge and speak to someone on a deeper level. Glossing over the trials can make stories one-dimensional and less emotionally impactful. So when you want to connect, lean in. 
I have a really good example of this. I think this speech is a masterclass in telling meaningful stories. It is Steve Jobs' commencement speech at Stanford in 2005. So he opened this speech by saying, today I want to tell you three stories from my life. No big deal, just three stories. And he went on to tell the story of how he was not wanted by his biological mother as an infant, was adopted by working class parents and pushed to attend college only to drop out of college. And then Steve goes on to detail. I like how I said Steve as if he's my friend. Steve Jobs then goes on to detail sleeping on the floor in his friend's dorms, having next to nothing in his bank account and experimenting with dropping in on different courses. And he kind of ties that into how it would later influence his development of Macintosh computers. But in it, he appeals to common feelings that the graduates he's speaking to have undoubtedly gone through. He talks about self-doubt, uncertainty, the desire to pursue one's passions, and finding creative freedom. He ties it all into an inspiring message for the graduating class. And he's very open. He's really vulnerable. He doesn't shy away from talking about death, talking about his cancer diagnosis. It's a pathos-filled and story-filled speech. All right, my little storytelling savant. (laughs) Here is the recap of the four lessons before we go into the don'ts of storytelling. So number one, know your story's purpose. Two, peak curiosity. Three, use descriptive language. And four, appeal to emotions. You might have to practice just a bit to get on Dickens' level, but these lessons should help. I have a quick list of don'ts, just things to avoid when telling stories, but before hopping into that, I want to address a question that I anticipate from some of you, which is, what if I don't know what stories to tell? So if you feel like you don't have good stories to tell or your mind just draws a blank, I have three quick tactics for you. Here's how to unearth interesting stories in your own life. Number one, reflect on highs and lows. Pivotal moments in life often make for great stories. So consider the times you felt the most energetic and happy and alive. Conversely, you can think about when you felt the most depleted or hurt. These high and low points are often the makings of a great story. Keeping a journal is really helpful for this. You can go back and kind of read about your triumphs and assorted mental breakdowns, you know, not judging here, but you can go back through your journal and get some highs and lows. Okay. Number two, ask friends and family for favorite moments. So if you're fresh out of story ideas, why not ask relatives and friends for their favorite moments with you? They might have a memory that you forgot or can share a perspective on an event that you haven't thought about. So this is another way to kind of outsource your story generation. Work smarter, not harder. Have someone else come up with the story ideas for you. Love that. All right. And then number three, if you're still strapped for stories, create new ones. Make an effort to do more. Yeah, that's the tip. Go out and try new things. Dickens worked a myriad of jobs. He was a law office clerk, news reporter, an actor, and he drew on these experiences to create his stories. So if you're low on the story front, try doing more things, whether it's picking up a new hobby or traveling more, 
even if it's just a day trip near your city, um, going to an event you normally wouldn't go to, the list goes on. All right, so you have your stories. Now for a rapid fire list of what not to do. These are the mistakes that you should be avoiding at all costs because they make your stories unappealing to your conversational partner. Number one, don't flood the listener with details. Just like an author focuses on key details and lets the reader conjure up the rest of the picture in the mind, do that with your stories. We've all met the person who starts telling us a story and then goes off into so many unnecessary details like the traffic jam on their way to where the story happened or the light drizzle on the windshield. Do not be that person, okay? We do not want to know all those unnecessary details. Keep it relevant. Number two, don't feel the need to be perfect. Share the vulnerabilities. Don't polish off all the rough edges. You can polish off some, but not all of them because it becomes boring and shallow if there's no struggle or no nothing for the listener to really connect to. So make sure your story has depth and you can do this by not keeping it perfect and polished and being honest about the struggles. Number three, don't think that you need to do all the talking. When telling a story, yes, you are the main one speaking, but you can make it conversational. So you can bounce back and forth, asking the listener questions, taking pauses, letting them ask you questions. Don't feel this pressure to perform. It's, it's a conversation. So there can be input back and forth. There should be. All right. And then number four, don't meander aimlessly. A starting point, a middle, and an ending point. All stories have these. This is tied in with lesson one, knowing your purpose. The purpose of this episode is to empower you to be a better storyteller. So I could have veered off into a thousand tangents, but you would lose interest. I stuck to how to be a storyteller, what to do, and what not to do. So I really hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. And if you liked the episode, please give it a review and share it with a friend. And subscribe to the show for more insights on leveling up your communication skills. Put these lessons into practice and keep sharing your stories. I'm your host, Celeste Renee, and I'll catch you on the next episode of A Better Way to Say.